So in uh, 1976 in Mexico, uh, in Satillo Jail in Mexico, there were 75 convicts that uh, decided to try to escape. And so they began to dig a tunnel uh, underneath the jail and they worked on it for quite a while and they dug and they dug and finally they got to uh, the other side. They were about to come up on the other side, they thought, of the jail. Uh, and they were going to be free men, and as they broke ground to come up through the ground, they discovered that they had tunneled right into the courtroom. And the judge was very shocked to find 75 criminals having tunneled right into the courtroom. They promptly arrested them again and brought them right back to jail. You know, it's important to know that you're heading in the right direction, or you can waste a lot of time, and you can end up in the courtroom with the judge going right back to jail. We're in the middle of a series on the kingdom of God, and we've uh, been saying all throughout this series that the kingdom of God is right here, right now, and seeking it should be our highest priority. And so today, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at a question, how do we know that we're going the right way? That's the, questions, that's the question that Jesus is going to address in the passage that we're looking at. How do we know we're going the right way? This, is a, this, is, this text that we're going to look at is a series of warning passages by Jesus. Now, i got some warning signs up on the screen behind me that are going to be coming. And you think about these warning signs on the road, right? We've got, um, you know, the sign on the bottom right cracks me up because I guess some people apparently have done that before, just driven right off the cliff into the water. So, you know, apparently we need to be warned not to do that. But we have these signs, right, to keep us safe. That's what they're there for, right? They're not to scare you. The signs are not there to, to make you paranoid or terrified. The signs are there to keep you safe, to keep you out of dangerous situations, right? Who, who here is thankful for warning signs? Who here is glad that they have those instead of just not telling you that there's danger around? I know I am thankful for warning signs. So Jesus gives us four sets of warnings or directions to take to be sure that we're heading towards the kingdom of God. Jesus teaches us clearly uh, that when we're heading towards the kingdom of God, there's four things that can happen. Number one, we can easily miss the entrance. We can follow the wrong people. We can go the wrong way when we think we're actually going the right way. Men, can I get an amen? And we can ignore His directions and follow our own purposefully. So that's what we're going to look at. Let's go jump right into the text. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. So Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's one of the four biographies of Jesus' life. So there's four Gospels that each tell the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection from a different perspective. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's a Bible on the table in front of you. And if you don't own one, feel free to take that with you as well as our gift. Matthew chapter 7, we're going to start in verse 13, and we're just going to read verse 13 and 14 right now. It'll also be on the screen behind me. I'm going to wait for pages to stop turning, and then we'll go. All right, Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Here's what Jesus says. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So the first thing we should point out about what Jesus just said here is that there is only one way to life. There's only one way to life. There's only one way to heaven, eternal life, however you want to put it. 
In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody can come to the Father except through me. Now, you, might, you guys may have heard this before, but we live in a relativistic culture, okay? Uh, inclusivism is a, big, is a big deal in our culture. And so what, what we mean by relativism and, and inclusivism is that uh, there's multiple ways to God. We shouldn't, it's, it's, in other words, it's arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way. It's arrogant for Jesus to claim that he's the only way to heaven because how is he any better than Muhammad, Buddha? And so relativism would say that there's more than one way to life. It doesn't really matter what way you go, as long as you're a good person, you can worship whatever you want and however you want. The problem with that is this, is that there's only one creator God. There's not multiple gods warring, you know, back and forth. There's only one creator. And that creator said, you shall have no other gods before me. In fact, that's the very first commandment in the Ten Commandments. Peter, when he's preaching in Acts chapter 4, says there is salvation in no other name given among, in heaven and on, or on earth except in Jesus Christ. See, Jesus is, is exclusive, but he's also inclusive. Jesus is inclusive in that everybody's invited. Everybody's invited to have a relationship with Jesus. But he's exclusive in that he is the only way to the Father. There's not multiple ways. Jesus is exclusive and he's inclusive. There's one way, but all are welcome. Second thing we should see about this passage is that there's uh, the way to destruction is wide and easy. The way to destruction is wide and easy. Notice the word many. The way to destruction is the way that the crowds go. The way to destruction is comfortable. You don't have to take your, your cross. You don't have to inconvenience yourself to go on the way of destruction. That's the way that most people like to go because nobody likes to be uncomfortable. It's pleasing to other people. You'll be praised and applauded by most of the people in the world if you go the way of destruction. If you find yourself going the way of the crowd, though, you're probably going the wrong way. The way to life, on the other hand, is narrow, hard, and few people find it. The narrow way is the way of the Beatitudes. So the Beatitudes come at the big beginning of this sermon. I told you guys last week the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. It's all one sermon by Jesus. This is the end of that sermon. At the beginning of the sermon, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble and the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He even says things like, Blessed are you when you're persecuted for my name's sake. You see, being poor in spirit, mourning, being persecuted, there's not a whole lot of people going down that way. It's the narrow way. Jesus sums up in Luke 9.23, says, If anyone wants to be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. That's the narrow door. It's the narrow way. That's the way to life. So, you know, everybody in this room has a, a decision to make. We have, we have to make this decision once and for all at some point in our lives, and really we have to make this decision every single morning before our heat, feet hit the floor. And it's this. Will you make a clean break with your old life? Will you make a clean break with your old life? Is Jesus worth it to you? Are you willing to leave behind everything else to follow Him? 
Because he demands nothing less. Nothing less. It's a narrow door. There's no room to, in that narrow door to bring your old self with you. There's no room for you and part of your old life to go through that narrow door. It's just the right size for you as a new creation and that's it. Nothing else can come with you. The old life must be left behind. Now, Jesus makes us a new creation. The good news is that Jesus never saves us without also transforming us. It doesn't happen. It's impossible. If you are saved, Jesus will transform you. He will begin to change you from the inside out. You cannot have one without the other. First Peter, Peter's writing to some Christians in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 3 to 5, and here's what he says. He says, For the time it is past... For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So, he makes it clear that when you make a clean break with your old life, there are going to be friends of yours that are going to malign you. There's going to be people that are going to tell you, you're taking this thing too seriously. What's wrong with you? You're a loser. Whatever. Right? They're going to get maligned. What are you still clinging to? What are you still trying to take with you through that narrow door? Today's the day that it's time to leave it behind. It's time to make a clean break with your old life. Let's move on to point number two. And before I do that, I just want to um, say this, that uh, this passage, I think there's a reason that, uh, that, this, that Jesus stays on this topic for so long. I think there's a reason that verses 13 to 27, that almost the, the last third of the Sermon on the Mount, is Jesus spends warning us. It's because it's serious. It's important. The things that I'm telling you this morning, remember this. I always say this, uh, and, and I, if I have to remind you every single week, I will. These are not my words. This is the words of Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. Alright? But point number two, don't follow the wrong people. Don't follow the wrong people. This is referring to false teachers and true teachers. Let's look at verse 15 to 20. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. So the first thing we want to take notice of in this passage is that false teachers are deceitful. Uh, the Bible calls them an angel of light. In other words, false teachers are going to appear uh, good. They're going to appear kind. They're going to appear harmless to you. And most often the most dangerous types of false teaching is the type of teaching that sounds closest to the truth. It's usually not going to be obvious. That's why Jesus says a wolf in sheep's clothing, right? False teachers are good at convincing people that they can still enter the kingdom of God through the wide and the easy path. But Paul calls them in Romans 16, he says they're smooth and flattering. Smooth and flattering. 
2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4 says this. It says, For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. So, many people, when they hear something that they don't like, are going to look for a teacher that's going to tell them what they want to hear. It's just a reality. I've seen it happen over and over again during my time in ministry. I'm sure some of you guys have seen that as well. But false teachers, they're recognized by their fruits. They're recognized by their fruit. This principle applies to everyone, by the way, not just false teachers. Now, fruit can't be faked. If I tell you guys that I'm an apple tree, and I insist that I'm an apple tree, but you see bananas hanging off of me, but, and you're like, no, I see bananas, and I go, you don't know me, you don't know my heart. I'm an apple tree. I, you can't see my heart, you can't judge me. You're going to be like, well, yeah, I kind of can, because you have bananas on you. I'm not judging you, I'm just pointing out an obvious fact that you have bananas hanging off of you, therefore, you can't be an apple tree. If you were an apple tree, you'd have apples, right? Right. Fruit can't be faked. Nobody can make themselves fruitful either. I don't know if any of you guys have ever gone outside before. I haven't seen this, but if you have, let me know. I don't know if anybody's ever gone outside and heard a, a tree grunt. <sighs> to try to make fruit. Has anybody ever heard a tree grunt to try really hard to make fruit grow? <sighs> I haven't. No. Do trees have to, to try hard to make fruit grow? No. Why does fruit grow on a fruit tree? Because it's a fruit tree, right? That's what they do. It's in their nature. It just happens. We don't really know why else. The tree doesn't have to try. The tree just bears fruit. If it's a healthy fruit tree, fruit comes off. We give you guys three steps that you can take to recognize false teachers. And it all goes back to recognizing that fruit. Because you see, fruit can't be faked. Ultimately, the pattern of our lives will show us the true character of a person. Number one, watch their teaching. Watch the teaching of a false teacher. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a preacher uh, back in the 19, uh, 1900s, said this. He said, there is nothing offensive in the preaching of false teachers. In other words, they're not going to say anything that's going to really upset you. In fact, they'll probably flatter you and make you feel really good about yourself all the time. There's nothing offensive in the preaching of a false teacher. You know, Jesus, if you think about it, and you go and you start reading the red letters in the Bible, Jesus said some things that were pretty like offensive, right? People got really offended at Jesus. In fact, they got so offended that they decided to kill him on a cross. That's pretty offensive, right? Number two... Watch their character. Watch the character of people that you're sitting under the teaching of. If their lives do not match what they are saying, something's off. Something's off, okay? Watch their character and how they live. Are they putting into practice, right? If they're telling you to, you know, sow, you know, a gospel seed of money or something like that into a ministry and they're living in a $5 million mansion, right? That should send up a red flag in your mind. Third, watch who they give the glory to. Right? Watch who they give the glory to. Ultimately, what is their life about? Is it about building their own kingdom? Or are they always pointing and reflecting back to Jesus Christ and saying, I'm just here because of Him? Right? 
So watch their teaching, watch their character, and watch who they give the glory to. That's some of the ways that we can recognize false teachers and make sure to make sure we're not following the wrong people on our way to the kingdom of God. Number three. Number three. So we've talked about how, how not to miss the entrance, how not to follow the wrong people, and now, number three, we need to make sure that we're actually going the right way. We need to make sure we're actually going the right way because it's possible for us to go the wrong way when we think we're going the right way. Let's look at verses 21 to 23. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So, someone once said that this might be the most solemn words ever uttered in history. Here Jesus uh, has just warned us about the dangers of being deceived by others, and now he's warning us about the danger of deceiving ourselves. Because it's very easy for us to, de- to deceive ourselves, to see our own lives through rose-colored lenses. The first thing we see is quite simple. It's, uh, it's not too complicated. You probably don't need me standing up here to explain this to you, but many who claim to follow Jesus will be turned away on Judgment Day. Jesus very clearly says that at the beginning of verse 21. I don't want you guys to dismiss this. I don't want you guys to just overlook this passage and go, this doesn't apply to me. Because Jesus just said, many, many who claim to be my disciples are going to come face to face with me on judgment day and they are going to hear the words, depart from me. I never knew you. These are religious people. These are Christian people. These are good people. Many. I stress this. I use this tone because I think this is the exact tone that Jesus used. It's a tone that needs to wake us up if we're sleeping. Jesus' aim in this warning is clear. Be very sure that you are on the narrow path. So how do you know if you are? Well, the second half of verse 21 says that only those who do the will of the Father will enter the kingdom of God. Well, what is that? What is the will of the Father? Well, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3, I think it sums it up well. Uh, it says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is a long, fancy word that basically means the process of you becoming holy or of you becoming more and more like God, of being set apart. So the will of God is for you to be made more and more holy, for you to look more and more like Him. That's God's will. That's the will of the Father. The ones who do the will of the Father are the ones who obey. Now there's a, there's a tension that we wrestle with here. It's the tension between grace and life change. All right, We know that we're saved by grace, And yet at the same time, we read here that, you know, if we don't bear fruit, that we can be tossed away and that we might hear on the last day, I never knew you, depart from me. And so we have this tendency to go, oh no, and we get fearful and we go, well, I need to work hard so that one day when I stand before God, I can say, look at all these things that I did. But then again, we go right back to verse 21 and 22, even the people who did many mighty works in the name of Jesus, 
you know, we'll hear, depart from me. So obviously that can't be the way that we earn our way into heaven, can it? It can't be by doing mighty works. The tension between grace and life change is, is solved because God never saves anyone without also transforming them. See, the catalyst of life change is grace. What starts, what causes you to change from the inside out is grace. Let me put it this way. You think about a diseased tree. Jesus talked about the diseased tree. If we're sinners apart from Christ, you can say we're a diseased tree. And those who are born again are a healthy tree. God does not ask a diseased tree to bear good fruit. He transforms the tree. Do you see what I mean? A, a diseased tree can't bear good fruit. You can't bear good fruit no matter how hard you try. God's not asking you to do that. God's not asking you to earn your way into heaven. God's asking you to trust Him and let Him transform your life. And then just like the apple tree, you don't have to grunt and try and strive to bear fruit. It's just going to happen. Because you've been transformed from the inside out. And that fruit is just the evidence of the work that's already been done on the inside. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17 If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You're a different person if you're in Christ. Galatians chapter 5, I think, gives uh, one of the best, um, it's one of the best passages to really examine our lives. And I think it's important for us to examine our lives because I think that's what Jesus calls for here in Matthew 7, 21 to 23. Paul calls for it. 2 Corinthians 13, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. It's kind of like going to, the, to a checkup at the doctor, right? When you go to the doctor, they, what do they do? They, the first thing is they'll check your vital signs, right? They'll check your blood pressure. They'll put a stethoscope to your heart. Make sure you don't have an irregular heartbeat or a heart murmur. They'll listen to your lungs. Make sure your lungs are good. They'll look in your eyes with the light and it's always annoying. And then they stick that thing in your ear. Right, they're making sure that all your body parts, all your vital organs are functioning properly. Now, if you went to the checkup and the doctor discovered that you had a tumor, that might be some hard news to hear, wouldn't it be? It'd be hard news to hear that you have a tumor. But wouldn't you be glad that he informed you? I mean, how would you feel if he decided, ah, I just don't want to hurt his feelings. So, man, I don't want to, I don't want to make him upset. I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to tell him. I'm just going to not tell him he's got a tumor. And then he just lets you leave and you had no idea. You'd be pretty upset if you found out about that, right? What do you want him to do? You Shoot me straight, Doc. What it's, what, how long do I got? Just tell me, right? You want to know why? Why do you want to know? Because you want to live. I want to live, right? It's kind of like going to a checkup at the doctor when we read Galatians 5, 19 to 23. There's two lists here. There's the works of the flesh, Paul calls it, and the fruit of the Spirit. Let's read it. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. 
Against such things, there is no law. Listen to me, guys. Out up here, everybody. So many people think, well, my life mostly reflects that first list. But because I prayed a prayer one time to ask Jesus to come into my heart and got baptized, I'm good. No. The Bible is clear. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If those things characterize your life, then you need to do some deep soul searching. You need to do some deep soul searching. The assurance of your salvation is not to look back on a time in your life when you pray to prayer. God's will for your life is holiness. The holiness without which nobody will see the Lord. Why, why does God want you to be holy? Why, do you think, what do you guys think? Why does God want you to be holy? Is He just nitpicky? Does He just want you to follow a bunch of rules? No, God's not nitpicky. The reason God's will for your life is holiness is because He's holy. In Leviticus, He said, You shall be holy because I am holy. You see, God, the kingdom of God being ushered in, what God is doing is God is rescuing a people for Himself and He's bringing them into His kingdom. It's our sin that separated us from God. Because of our sin, we're not holy. We're separated from God, is what Isaiah 59 verse 2 says. And nobody can come into the presence of God with any sin in their lives. God wants you to dwell with Him in eternity. But to do that, we have to be made holy. And that's a work of God that starts from the inside out. It's a work that He begins in us. That fruit that we talked about, that fruit that grows naturally, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, those things begin to naturally come out of your life as you follow Jesus, as you trust Him, and as He transforms you from the inside out. I claimed to be a Christian for a long time, but my life looked like that first list. For a long time, I ran around. I actually grew up in church. Uh, I told people that I was a Christian, but if I'm being honest, my life didn't look anything like the fruit of the Spirit. And I'll never forget, it was a little over seven years ago, I remember reading that passage. I remember reading it, and I remember the impact that it had on me. And I remember looking at it and going, wow, I don't even know if I'm actually a Christian. Because according to the Bible, what this says right here, it looks like I'm more that first list than that second list. And you know what? It scared me a little bit. It scared me when I saw those words, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But you know what? It was a healthy fear because that drove me right into the arms of God's grace. It drove me right back to Him. It drove me to repentance. It drove me to be sorry for my sin and to recognize that I hadn't been honoring God with the way I was living my life. But I also recognized that even though I had messed up thousands of times and I had basically been a hypocrite, that God never rejects a broken or repentant heart. God never rejects anybody who comes to Him asking, them, asking Him to forgive them of their sins. And so I ran back into the arms of God and He saved me and He forgave me. God used this passage to show me that I was deceived and to change me. So what about you? At uh, Fellowship Oshawa, we've got, I haven't talked about this much, we've got measures. You'll see it right here in this uh, banner, Be a Light. We call it Be a Light. 
This is another way that we can kind of examine our lives and go, am I growing as a disciple of Jesus here at Fellowship Oshawa? So when we say be a light, it means this. It means living on mission, right? So am I looking for ways to reach out to people around me in my life? Right? Am I reaching out to my neighbors? Am I showing them the love of Jesus? Am I doing kind things for them? Am I looking for opportunities to share the gospel, to pray with people? Invest in fellowship. Am I connected with the body of Christ? Am I being discipled? Am I in a lighthouse in a small group setting? You know, am, I, am I a part of, this, of the family? Uh, number three, give, a, give away your life and service. Am I serving? Right, we've got lots of opportunities to serve. Yesterday we had a great time. We, uh, a lot of us went over to the Pregnancy Help Center uh, yesterday. And we just helped them. We organized their space. We hauled a bunch of stuff to the dump. We cleaned it up and just served them. For no other reason just, than just we wanted to. We wanted to help. Give away your life and service. Number four, have alone time with God. It's so important. There's a personal relationship between you and God. If I never spent time with Jen... There's no way we would grow closer. If I never came home and I was just gone seven days a week, how long do you think our marriage would last that way? Not very long, right? It's the same with God. If we don't spend alone time with Him, we're not going to grow closer to Him. And number five, train others. Am I investing? Am I giving my life away to others? Am I investing into others the way that others have invested into me? We want to invest in others to see more and more people come to know Jesus. So be a light. You're going to hear more about that in the days to come. All right, last point, and I'm just going to go quickly through this. Matthew 7, 24 to 27. Follow Jesus' directions, not your own. Follow Jesus' directions, not your own. Here's what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it didn't fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell and great was the fall of it. So Jesus is basically saying the same thing here that he just said in verses 21 to 23, except he's illustrating it with a story. So that should signify something to us. What it should signify is that this is very, very important to Jesus. So important, important in fact that he wants to try to communicate it in multiple ways to make sure that we heard it and that we understood it. Because Jesus knew that, I mean, you know, we're way more ADD in our culture today, but even back then people would hear things and it would go through this ear and out the other ear, right? Sometimes we have to hear things over and over again for it to finally settle in. Jesus' point is this, obey Obey, obey. Don't just hear my words and not do them. That's foolish. It's foolish to hear my words and not do them. When you hear my words, just trust me. Just obey me. What happens to a house that's built on a faulty foundation over time? Right. There should be a picture behind me. Is there? Yeah. I just looked up pictures. So this was, uh, this was Hurricane uh, Sandy, I think. It amazes me, honestly, that people build houses on sand on the beach in a hurricane territory. I don't know, I don't know why. I really don't. But, uh, you know, there was tons of pictures. If you just go search houses with faulty foundations or collapsed houses, you'll, you'll see hundreds of these. Hundreds of pictures just like this, right? That's foolish. Don't do that. Don't do that with your life. 
Right? And Jesus says that to build our house on the sand, if you want to do that, just hear Jesus' words and then ignore them and don't do them. That's, that's what your house is going to look like. That's what your house... Now, what do you guys want to be? Do you guys want to be the foolish one or do you want to be the wise man? I want to be the wise man. I don't want to be the foolish man. So what does that mean we need to do? What? Right. Build your house on a solid foundation. When you hear the words of Jesus, just obey them. Right? Trust them. Now, both of these men heard the words of Jesus in this parable. Right? One of them listened. One of them obeyed. One of them didn't. You all have now heard the words of Jesus. If not before this week, you've heard it now. Right? So you all have a choice. What are you going to do this morning? Are you going to build your house on the rock? Or are you going to build it on the sand? In closing, remember, we said this uh, throughout the series, that the kingdom of God implies that there's a king. The kingdom implies that there's a king. And the king of that kingdom, Jesus Christ, must be your king. The king of that kingdom must be your king. I really think that's really the main point of this message today. So my question to you is, do you know Him? Do you know Him? If you're a Christian, today's message should be an encouragement to you. Jesus' warnings aren't there to scare us. Like I said at the beginning, they're not there to scare us, but to keep us on the right path to protect us from being deceived. There's a reason that this message may have sounded a little bit hardcore today, for lack of a better uh, example. It's because Jesus really, really wants you to know, are you on the right path? Don't be deceived. Don't deceive yourself. Don't allow yourself to be deceived by others. Why does He really, really want you to know that? Because He loves you. He doesn't want you to just wander off down the path to destruction when you think you're going the right way. And sadly, there's preachers like me who are going to stand up, who've been standing up since the first century preaching the same thing, and still people don't listen and they keep going. They keep going down the road to destruction and they think they're going down the road to life. But you know what? I'm not going to stop preaching it and I'm not going to stop talking about it because if even just one person hears, it makes it all worth it. It makes it all worth it. Guys, God loves you and He does not want you to go down the path of destruction. That's why He gives us these warnings. So if you're a Christian this morning, be encouraged by God's love. And if you find yourself this morning and your seat feels like it's on fire and you feel uncomfortable and your first impulse is, I just want to do a 100-yard sprint out the front doors, you need to ask yourself, why? Why do I feel like that? Why do I feel so uncomfortable? You need to examine your life. Have you been trying to go the narrow way without taking up your cross? Have you been following false teachers? Is there an area in your life where you're deliberately sinning against God? 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, If you confess your sin to God, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. There's nothing standing between you and grace this morning. There's nothing in the way of you and God's forgiveness this morning. So I invite you today, Ask God to forgive you. Ask Him to forgive you and to heal you, and He will this morning. And ask Him to help you begin to obey. We're going to go into a time of discussion. We're going to have discussion questions up on the screen behind me.